Welcome to Peace by Believing with John Redmond, Associate Pastor of First Baptist Church in Pasadena, Texas. A national insurance company recently found that 46% of Americans reported feeling lonely either some of the time or all of the time. God can speak to us during a season of loneliness. The Apostle John wrote his revelation of Jesus Christ while exiled all alone on the island of Patmos. Today, John gives us some truths that we can know during Alone Times, as he continues his series on the book of Revelation with his message, Alone on an Island. If you'll open your Bibles, please, to the book of Revelation. Last Sunday morning in our sermon, we talked about the fact that we are living in the last days. And we began our study in this book that we'll be in for the next several months. And if you remember last week, I I built that sermon largely around four reasons why I believe we're living in the last days. That was the meat and the heart of that sermon last week. And those four reasons were the rebirth of Israel, the establishment of the European Union, the sin and the selfishness that is so prevalent in the day in which we live. And not only that, but the fact that the creation itself is groaning. And Jesus said, when you begin to see wars and rumors of wars and and when earthquakes begin to take place, you know that the end is near. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul said, he described it this way. He said, the creation itself is groaning. And we spent some time last week talking about Hurricanes, partly, but also earthquakes. Last Sunday morning sermon was prophetic in nature. In other words, we were looking at what the Bible says would happen as we get towards the end. And so we're looking at Bible prophecies, and we're seeing these prophecies being fulfilled before our eyes. Now, this morning, our sermon is completely different from that. As we study through Revelation, that prophetic theme will repeat itself over and over again, but not today. Today, we're not focusing primarily on the message of the book of Revelation. We're focusing on the man who wrote the book. We're focusing today on the Apostle John. So in Revelation chapter number 1, let's begin reading today in verse number 4. And we'll read through the first part of verse number 10. It says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And so we'll stop our reading this morning right there. The Apostle John 
because of his faithful witness in Jesus Christ, had been arrested by the Roman authorities, and they had placed him in exile on this island called Patmos. Patmos is a beautiful island. Many of us have been there. It's 10 miles long. It's 6 miles wide. It's out in the middle of the Aegean Sea, very close to where Turkey is today. And so back in this day, the Roman authorities, when they would arrest people, many times they would send the criminals to this island. It was kind of like Alcatraz back in the day in our country. And so here is John on this island in prison because of his faithful witness of Jesus Christ. At the time he wrote this, he was probably in his 90s. Eusebius, one of the great church historians, tells us that John ended up being on this island for a year and a half. At the end of that time, he was released. He went back to Ephesus. He finished out his days there in the church that he had one time pastored. And there John died. And there John was buried. But when he was on that island, he didn't know he would just be there for a year and a half. He didn't know any of that. There he was because of his faithful witness of Jesus Christ. Now, just what I've said so far says this to me. If the apostle John, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, in the inner circle along with Peter and James, in fact, the apostle John was the one who described himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. If John was not spared from suffering, from pain, from difficulty, from mistreatment, from heartache, from all those things. If he wasn't spared, we won't be spared either. And so I've entitled the sermon this morning, Alone on an Island. Because that's where John was. He was separated from all of his fellow Christian friends. Jesus was back in heaven. And here's John all alone on this island. And earlier this week when I was thinking about that, I just felt like God put this thought in my mind. Late Tuesday night, I wasn't even studying the sermon. I was sitting in my chair. I turned the TV off and I said, Lord, before I go to bed tonight, I want to just sit here for a few minutes and and think and pray. And if there's anything you want to say to me, and I felt like during those moments, the Lord gave me this thought about John. He was alone on on an island. And it was like God said to me, John, when you stand up there and preach on Sunday, you're preaching to a room full of people, many of whom feel like John felt. They feel alone on an island. They feel abandoned. They feel deserted. They're feeling the heartache, the emptiness, and the loneliness that John felt. And say to them on Sunday that what was true for John is true for them in their particular case. And so if we could have talked to John back in that day and said, John, what's going on? Why are you going through all these things? John would have said to us, man, I don't know the answer to all those questions, but I think there were some things that John would have said to us, some things he did know. And I'll say to you today who feel alone on an island, there are some things that if you can say, I may not know why I'm here, may not know why this has happened, may not know how long it's going to last, may not know God's purpose behind it, may never know any of these things till I get to heaven, but here are some things I know, and these things are what will give us strength and help us to make it through whatever we're facing in life. And so the first thing, when we're alone on an island, that we need to know, you need to be able to say this today, you should be able to say, I know beyond the shadow of any doubt that God loves me. If you believe that, say amen. Now, look back in verse number 5 at the last sentence of that verse, because that's what John said as he's describing Jesus. He says, to him who loved us. This whole idea about being loved by God. 
when things are going well and, and the wind's at our back and, and everything's just great, we don't have any difficulty understanding that God loves us. We say, man, God has been good to me and God is taking care of me in this situation. But when the bottom falls out and nothing's going right, those are the times we begin to wonder, does God really love me? If God really loved me, why would God allow me to be going through what I'm going through now? I can say today to every person in this room today and to everyone listening, whether you're saved or even if you're not saved, I can promise you today on the authority of God's Word that God loves you. If we knew no other verse in the Bible but John 3.16 where Jesus said, For God so, what's the next word? Love the world that he gave his only begotten son. When it says he loved the world, he's not talking about the mountains and the, the trees. He's talking about the people in the world. And so the first thing we need to know is that God loves us, that God, if we're saved, is our Father, and that God would never allow us to go through anything in our life that could not ultimately be used for our good and for his glory. And so one of the challenges in life is to begin to receive everything that happens as though it had come to us directly from God. That doesn't mean God causes cancer. That doesn't mean God causes problems. But it means sometimes God will allow these things into our lives. And when He does, He always has a good purpose in mind. And so we can rest in the fact that God loves us. There's a verse in 1 John, this same man who wrote Revelation wrote this. And the verse says this, perfect love cast out fear. Say that with me. Perfect love cast out fear. Now, when it says perfect love, that's not talking about our love for God. Our love for God's not perfect. There's not anything about us that's perfect. It's talking about God's love for us. And it says that God's love for us is perfect love. And so how could we be afraid of anything that a perfect God who loves us perfectly has allowed into our lives. And so the first thing on that island that we need to be able to say is, I know beyond the shadow of any doubt that God loves me. Now the second thing we need to be able to say, oh John could say it and we should be able to say it too, we need to be able to say, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved. Again, in that same sentence in verse 5, John says, To him who loved us, now watch this next description, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. He says Jesus has washed us. That's just another way of describing what it means to be saved. He could have said, and who saved us, but he didn't use that word here. He said, who washed us by his own blood blood. To be saved, what does it mean to be saved? It means that we have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It means that we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I think if you were to get a Christian and a Muslim and a Hindu and a Buddhist and an atheist and line them up and say, now what's the difference between all these people's religion and their faith? Well, I think some people would say, well, well, each of them believes something differently. The uh, you know, the Muslim believes in Allah, the Hindu believes what he believes in the Buddhist, the atheist doesn't believe there's any God at all, and the Christian believes in Jesus. So we just have the idea that to be a Christian just means we believe something different than the others believe. Well, it, it is true, we do believe something different. We believe in Jesus Christ, but that's not the only thing it means to be a Christian. It is because of what we believe, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, that we have been washed, that we have been cleansed. And you begin to think about that. 
Every sin that you and I have ever committed has been washed away in the blood of Jesus. And so if you're thinking about what's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, a Christian is someone who's been washed and a non-Christian is someone who hasn't been washed. A Christian is someone who's been forgiven. And a non-Christian is someone who hasn't been forgiven. And so today, if you're here and you say, I'm not sure if I'm even saved. I'm not sure what I believe. Well, just understand that if you decide to believe in Jesus and to receive him, in that moment you will be washed and you will be cleansed of all of your sins. Do you remember what David said in that 51st Psalm after he had committed that adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband killed and he felt so guilty felt so rotten and sorry for what he had done and David prayed to God and David said cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean and then listen to the next part wash me and I will be whiter than snow and so to be a Christian means that we have been washed I wonder today how many people here Don't raise your hand, but just answer this question in your heart. How many people in this room today could say, John, I know beyond the shadow of any doubt that I'm saved. I know that I've been washed. What did John tell us in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 at the end of that letter that he had written about how we could know we're saved? He said, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know. K-N-O-W, that you may know that you have eternal life. Not hope, pray, think, surmise, guess, but that you may know it. And uh, that's a great thing. No matter what we're going through in life, if we can say, you know what? I don't understand why God allowed it. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know a lot of things, but I'll tell you what I do know. I know that God loves me, and I know that I'm saved. Now, a third thing we should be able to say, not only I know that I'm saved, but we should be able to say, I know here on this island, here while I'm all alone, I know that a better day is coming. John knew that. Look again in verse number 7. He describes this better day. He says, behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And so John on that island, he's talking about the return of Christ. What's John saying? John's saying, I know that a better day's coming. I know there's coming a day when Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth, when he's going to wrap everything up, and I know that everything eventually is going to be all right. You know, it's interesting as we think about the first coming of Jesus Christ, and then we think about the second coming of Jesus Christ, and you begin to kind of compare those two events. You see some differences. For example, on the, the first time Jesus came, he was born in Bethlehem. And he was largely unnoticed by the people in that village. But the next time Jesus comes, he's coming with the clouds. And the Bible says that every eye will see him. The first time Jesus came, he came in great humility. But the next time Jesus comes, he's coming in power and great glory with the clouds. The first time Jesus came, he came to die. But the next time Jesus comes, he's coming to reign and to rule. And so John on that island, I think, I think if we could have spoken to John and said, John, how are you holding in here so good? How are you surviving this experience so well? He would say, well, it's because of what I know. I know that God loves me. I know that I'm saved. And I know that I know that I know that I know that a better day is coming. And friend, that's true for you today. Whatever you might be facing, I can promise you this, a better day is coming. And if it doesn't get here before then, it'll come either when you die or when Jesus comes back. But a better day is coming. Do you know every trouble we have right now is temporary? My grandfather used to say, 
when he was going through hard times in his life, he would say, well, you know what? In 100 years from now, it won't matter. It won't matter. And that's true. In 100 years from now, it won't matter. And the fact is, it'd be a lot less time than that that it won't matter. And so we have to keep in mind that troubles and pain and heartache and all these things we go through, they're temporary. And eventually, they will be uh, resolved, and eventually, things will get better. Now, you still listen? Say amen. That kind of leads me to this fourth thing today. As we think about old John, and, and as we go through this study, I just felt led to devote one sermon to John himself, and how was he doing so well with what he was going through? It was because of what he knew. He knew that God loved him. He knew that he was saved. He knew that a better day was coming. And not only that, on our island, when we feel alone, we need to be able to say, Not only do I know that a better day is coming out there somewhere, either in this life, God may turn my situation around and solve this problem, meet this need here and now. If not here and now, a better day is coming when Christ returns or when I step out into eternity to meet Him. But we need to be able to say, in the meantime, I know that God's grace is sufficient. Now, that encourages me to know that When I'm going through something, yeah, a better day is coming, but I don't have to wait for a better day to get here for me to be all right. I don't have to wait for my circumstances to change, for me to have peace, even if it's peace in the midst of sadness, we can still have peace. And we find that peace, we find that calmness, we find that, you know, our mind slows down and we're able to relax more when we begin to focus on God. And we begin to focus on his grace and his help for our life. Look again in verse number 8. I love this verse. Jesus is speaking and Jesus said, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. In the Greek alphabet, the Alpha is the first letter and the Omega is the last letter. It would be like us saying, uh, you know, Jesus is the A and he's the Z. He's the beginning and he's the end. That's what he was saying here. I'm the Alpha. That is, I was here before it all started. So you need to, some people here today need to hear that. That situation that you're going through right now, Jesus is saying to you, I was here before the problem started. And not only that, I'm the omega. I will be here when the problem is gone away. I'm the alpha and the omega. But not only that, notice what he says at the end of that verse. It, he describes himself by saying, who is and who was and who is to come, the almighty. Now when he said he was... He's the Alpha. When he said who is to come, he's the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's before it all. He'll be here after it all. But when he describes himself as the God who is, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm also with you in the meantime. I'm also with you in the struggle. I'm also with you while your heart is breaking and while you feel alone and while everything is just going crazy in your life. Jesus was saying, I am right there with you. And so as I was thinking about this over the weekend and specifically on Friday night, I thought, you know, it's not just that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He is that. But it's not just that he's the first letter and the last letter of the alphabet. Think about this. Jesus Christ is the entire alphabet. What is an alphabet? An alphabet is a collection of letters. What do those letters do? Those letters hook up with each other and those letters form words. And those words are what we use to do what? To communicate truth. We would have great difficulty communicating truth if we didn't have an alphabet. If you go to study any foreign language, the first thing they're going to make you learn is the alphabet because you can't learn words if you don't know letters. And so you have to learn letters so you can make words. And then when you know those words, 
You begin to learn subjects and verbs and adjectives and adverbs, and you put those words together. And what are those words doing? Those words are communicating truth. And Jesus is saying, you need to understand, I'm the alpha, the first of the alphabet. I'm the omega, the end of the alphabet. But I'm also every letter in between. And I just sat down and I thought, Lord, I'm going to just get a piece of paper and letter it out, A through Z. 26 letters in the English alphabet. And I don't know if I'll be able to do this or not, but I'm going to just try it. I'm going to try to come up with a name for you out of every letter in this alphabet. And if I can do it, I may share it on Sunday. And if I can't, they'll never know I tried. So it won't be any shame on me. So I just wrote it out, A, B. And I really didn't think when I first started that, I thought, I'm not sure if I'm really going to be able to come up with a word for each one of those letters. I mean, I know Jesus is wonderful, but some of these letters are kind of hard. And I thought, I'm not sure if that'll... And you know, as I just sat there and began, you ought to do that sometime. As I just sat there in my chair with the ball game on and just started thinking about Jesus and who he is and what he means... And how in the middle of the storms of life, he is always right there with us. I just began to, to write down some words. And I, I want to just share these with you today as best as I can. When I see the letter A, it says to me that Jesus Christ is our advocate in the courtroom of heaven. The letter B says he's the bridge between us and God. C says he's our comforter when our hearts are broken. D says he's our deliverer and our defender. E says to me that Jesus is the everlasting father and the giver of eternal life. F says he is the friend in Proverbs who sticks closer than a brother. G says to me that Jesus is gracious, he is gentle, and he's always good. H says that Jesus is my helper, my healer, and my only hope in life. That letter I says to me, in fact, I, when I see that letter I, I think of the words of the hymn writer who described Jesus as immortal, invisible, God only wise. J says to me that Jesus is just and the justifier of all who believe. K says he's king of kings. L says he's lord of lords. That letter M says to me that Jesus is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. N says to me that he is near to all who call upon him. The letter O says Jesus is omnipotent. He's omniscient and he's omnipresent. That means he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, and he's everywhere in the world. The letter P says that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Q says that Jesus Christ is the quintessential example of purity and perfection. When I see the letter R, I think Jesus is my righteousness. He's my redeemer. He's my restorer. And he's our returning king. S says Jesus is our savior. And he's also our sustainer. The letter T says that Jesus is the truth whether people believe him or not. U says that Jesus is unconditional love. And he is unmerited favor. The letter V says that Jesus Christ is the victor over death, hell, and the grave. 
The W says that Jesus is the Word of God. He's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. The letter X says he has X-ray vision and he is able to discern the thoughts and intents of the human heart. Y says that Jesus is Yahweh, that is God in the flesh. Think about that. The Yahweh of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. We only have one God. And the Z says that Jesus is Zoe. He is life to the fullest. And not only that, He is the zenith of all of our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations. And so I'm saying to you from A to Z, every single letter says to us that Jesus Christ is everything that we'll ever need. We hope that today's message, Alone on an Island, has been an encouragement to you. You can find this message along with many others under the broadcast tab on our website, www.peacebybelieving.org. If you are feeling lonely right now, we have a booklet available on our website under the booklets tab entitled Never Alone. This booklet is free for you to download, and I know it will be a blessing to you. We also invite you to like Peace by Believing Ministries on Facebook and follow at PBB underscore broadcast on Twitter. But maybe you are just completely lonely and you need Jesus to fill your heart. You can pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive my sins, and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me and I trust you to do it. Amen. Congratulations, you are now a Christian. Thank you for spending some time with us today. And we look forward to you joining us on the next Peace by Believing with John Redmond.